Hi, it's Karen here. And before we begin, I want to share an opportunity for you to help us give back. After my own cancer diagnosis, I realized the importance of having a helpful and simple resource. That's why I wrote Happiness Through Hardship, a guide and journal for cancer patients, their caregivers, and friends. Like a good friend, this book provides practical tips and resources, as well as a few stories providing hope. Now, we've organized a Donate a Book fundraiser and would be so grateful for your support. You can donate on prettywellness.com backslash book or Venmo at C-A-R-Y-N dash Sullivan dash three. For each $15 donated, one book will be donated to a cancer center. And as I do with all books sold, half the proceeds go to the Cancer Couch Foundation, where 100% of the donations are matched and fund metastatic breast cancer research. Again, we would be so grateful for your support. You can donate by sending a Venmo at my name dash three, which is C-A-R-Y-N dash S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N dash three. Thanks again for your support. Let's begin. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book, Happiness Through Hardship, a guide for cancer patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. If you've liked these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. Or reach out to us at Pretty Wellness on Instagram. We love connecting and sharing healthy lifestyle resources. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Eleonora Toplinski, a board-certified medical oncologist. Dr. Toplinski specializes in treating women with breast and gynecologic cancers. She also promotes cancer risk reduction and healthy living, a woman from my own heart. In addition to hosting the Interlude podcast with stories of women touched by cancer, she's a marathon runner, a Peloton lover, and the mom of two beautiful girls. Now, I was on her interlude podcast this past August and loved our conversation, and so I thought it would be so interesting and fun for you, the Happiness Through Hardship listener, to hear about her expertise because so many of us in life are touched by cancer and could use credible information. Now, Dr. Toplinski has made it her life's work to not only save lives, but to educate people with valuable medical information on social media, as well as various events throughout the East Coast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Now, as I was, I'm like, do I call you doctor? Do I call you Dr. Oh, Toplinski? Do I, 
please call me Eleanor. Eleanor, <laughs> yeah. do I tell, call you Dr. E or T? Dr. E.T. Oh, listen to that. Yeah, I know. I go by a lot of times when I sign like my note, you know, when I send little messages to patients, I'll write Dr. T because it's my, my name is too long to write, but Eleonora is perfectly fine. Well, and I call my doctor, Dr. D. And I think I'm so used to calling him Dr. D that, you know, I'll be in a more formal setting and I, I like, I can't even, his name is D. D Giovanna, but I'm so used to like, oh, Dr. D, Dr. D. And they're like, Michael. I'm like, no, Dr. D. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about? you guys are people too right mm-hmm. and absolutely first and foremost first and foremost and I will say after being a patient myself for for, for now 17 years dealing with cancer this December I feel like my I call it my cancer wellness team all my various doctors I've had throughout the years that there's some of which have been become like a part of my heart and have become a part of my life. And so we're definitely on more than, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a first name basis or a nickname basis, it's, it's a, I think a beautiful relationship when you can have one with your doctor, it feels really special. Absolutely. Now, will you tell us, we're going to jump right in here because I know we could spend several hours picking your brain about cancer and your thoughts I want to hear first, though, how it all began. Why did you decide to go into medicine and be an oncologist? Yeah, so, you know, kind of what you're talking about, you know, the relationships with patients. So I have wanted to be a doctor since I was seven years old, even maybe six and a half. My little sister, it was a few months at the time, and she bumped her lip on a rocking chair, and I thought I was so clever I like took her into the bathroom and I washed it up you know she's like six months old at the oh. time like learning to crawl and I was like ah that's it like I'm gonna be a doctor uh and I I really don't like to go back on things so I, I was like stuck with that um but no all jokes aside as I I kind of when I was little I was like oh, I'm gonna be a doctor because of that and then you know I just loved it I loved um science I loved you know, I, I love learning in high school about all that. And then my grandmother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was in high school. And because I had, you know, was interested, I really was involved in her, you know, going to some of her doctor's appointments and, you know, talking to her doctors and just being part of her kind of treatment. And that really made me very interested in oncology. And as the years, as I went to, you know, went to college and medical school, and it just kind of evolved. And I love, love women's health. I have a minor from in undergrad in, in women's and gender studies, really with a focus on women's health. And it just was natural that I kind of fell into with my family history with oncology and my love for women's health. It kind of all fit. I actually initially wanted to be a gynecologic oncologist, which is surgery you know, for ovarian or uterine cancers. And I realized more that I, I really love just sitting and talking with patients and being a part of their treatment and their journeys. And so medical oncologists kind of um, was just so natural to me. And I also, I'm not a surgeon, so married to a surgeon, but that is, that's my thing. Uh, so I, I just, it was just so natural. I know, I know it sounds kind of corny, but it really all fell into place for me. Well, that's a beautiful thing because in so many people's line of work, it doesn't always fall into place. However, I think as we age and we start to reflect on what's worked and what hasn't worked, 
hopefully a lot of people get there. And it's really beautiful when somebody knew so early on, and many of us don't know necessarily at six, but even in, in you know, high school, you had career days or college, you start to explore things, but to continually have this passion and to see, you know, not only are you doing what you love, but you really are helping save people's lives. And what I love that you're doing is you are, are an educator as well. There are so many people that are touched by cancer and you with the podcast and you with your social media are of course saying, go to your doctor. Your doctor knows your case better, but you are there to help answer questions that might help the patient or the person touched by cancer, you know, dig a little deeper and find out some answers that they maybe didn't even really know that they were seeking. And so I think that's really helpful for people who, who are touched by cancer. No, absolutely. You know, we know, I mean, there's research on this, that more people are utilizing social media to ask questions about cancer than they are going to their providers. And look, we can talk for hours about why that is, but that's the fact. And so I I think it's important for doctors and other healthcare providers to be present in those spaces, because otherwise, when patients are searching, they're not getting the best information that they could be getting, right? And that propagates the myths and the misinformation that we see so prevalent in not only in oncology, but in medicine in general. And so kind of when I started this platform, I, to be honest, had no idea where I was going to go. And I, I just love it so much. I think it's such a community online and um, it's really helped me learn a ton. But it's really, really important to be present in that in that space. Well, I agree with you. And I found, I feel like being touched for so long with cancer, I knew so much about it, which I think I know a, know a few things about cancer, but coming from somebody who has worked and studied in it, like you have day by day, it's, it's, I have learned a tremendous amount from you, uh, you know, as well as some of my own doctors that I do ask those questions to as well. So I am grateful that you're there, but we're talking about, so this, this space, right? called mm-hmm. the World Wide Web or, you know, all the social media platforms. There is a lot of misinformation out there on so many subjects, but let alone cancer. Is there anything, I mean, I don't know if it's your hot buttons, like what is it that you hear that you see that you're like, oh, please, no, don't say that. You know, here's the truth. Here's, or you know, something, whether it's a myth or information that you really want to set straight with people, what would you share with our listeners? Great, great question. There are a number of things. The most important thing, though, there is no miracle cure. I get questions, whether online, whether in my office, whether, you know, patients are calling saying, I, someone told me or I Googled about this vitamin or, or that vitamin or, or this cocktail. And, and, you know, it's going to cure cancer. And it's just not. Um, and, and I wish there was, right? I wish that there was a miracle cure. I wish there was a vitamin or a supplement that people could take, but there is no magic pill. Um, and so I think that's number one. You know, if you're reading it and it sounds too good to be true, it may be, right. it may be the case. In terms of kind of very more granular things, I'll, I'll just kind of give you a bullet list very quickly. Number one, soy is not bad for you. Soy is actually good. It has a protective effect against breast cancer. Soy contains, the reason that this myth becomes propagated is that soy contains estrogen. And so estrogen with breast cancer, we think, well, why would I want to feed estrogen to my body? 
and soy contains phytoestrogens or plant-based estrogens, which are actually good for you. And so we want to eat soy, kind of the whole not processed soy, like staying away from things like soy nuggets, but tofu, edamame, miso, all of those things are not only, they're definitely not bad for you and they may even be good for you. That's number one. Number two is that you don't have to completely eliminate all plastics, get rid of your microwave, stop using cans. Like again, there, you can, you know, you don't have to be the, the cleanest person when it comes to clean living. Um, certainly some things you can do a little bit, but I always tell people don't drive yourself crazy trying to, you know, soak those beans for 24 hours and, you know, not heat up something in the microwave. Like that's, there's just no reason to do that. Um, and then I think the other part is that you can't prevent cancer, right? So when people get diagnosed, someone will say to them all the time, well, it's, you know, is it because you ate the burger or whatever? And no, there's not, there's not, not only is there not one thing that causes cancer, there's nothing that you can do that will prevent breast cancer. Um, all of the things that we talk about and that I talk about a lot on my platform is how to reduce your risk but there's not one thing that you can do that's going to just completely eliminate your risk of getting diagnosed. Thank you so much. Because I will tell you, I was one of those people that I did quit soy because I, I was trying to do the research myself when I was first diagnosed with stage four. And I figured, uh, you know, I might as well just, just take it out. It, it, I'm not going to fill it with something else necessarily. I, unless it was plants, I ate a lot of plants and I continue to still eat a lot of plants. But as I continued to do a little bit more quality research, let's say, and speak to various nutritionists, dietitians, and oncologists about it, they did say, as you're saying, that there is a protective element. People think it is a phytoestrogen and so it would be bad. But I, I like hearing that because I think it's, uh, you know, as someone who doesn't eat animal protein, there is such a nourishing and satisfying feeling when you get to eat quality protein like beans, edamame, for instance, or tofu, which I love. No, me too. I, I, you know, my husband is fully vegan. I'm mostly plant-based and I think those are just huge protein sources, right? That when you take them out, it's right. hard to get a lot of protein. Right. And I, 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 like you said, you know, it kind of came from somewhere, but I also love that you're saying be mindful of clean living, but you don't have to be there a hundred percent because a little bit can help and you wouldn't want to drive yourself crazy over the rest of it. Exactly. Because I think that that is somewhere, you know, I am a huge proponent of clean living, but I also think that we should live too. Now I want to take a little left turn here because this has been a question on so many people's mind over the last few years with COVID. And I also want to say if, I, if we didn't say this earlier, I'll say it, I'm sure you'll say it, that any question that you have related to your own case, please go to one of your many doctors because these are generally, you know, my thoughts, my experience, as well as Dr. Dr. T's as well. So my question about COVID is you had a podcast episode about a year ago where you had talked about that moment in time and what we were dealing with in terms of recommendations for those with gynecological or breast cancer. Now, this was before vaccines, before boosters, and even some of the mutations that have come out. Can you tell us now in late 2021, early 2022, 
what your recommendations are for people that are going through active treatment, recovering, or are kind of on this maintenance? Yeah, you know, I mean, so much has changed, right? We have vaccines, we have boosters, we have kid pediatric vaccines, which is just incredible. So I think a lot is changing. The numbers, at least for today, are going down. You know, who knows what will happen in a few months. But as we, as you know, we kind of enter the second year of this, we're about to enter the second year of this, you know, we know that this is something that is going to be endemic. This is something that we have to learn to live with. And I think when I recorded those episodes, a lot of it was still, we were really trying to social distance and stay home and flatten the curve and all of that. And so now it's about kind of how do you safely re-enter the world and do what brings you joy and happiness. So I have people who say to me, I really want to go out to dinner. And I think that if you're vaccinated and boosted and you're in an area with fairly low risk and you're not going to a very crowded place and you'll wear a mask indoors and go, you have to live your life. But if those things are going to bring you anxiety, then don't do them, right? It's such a personal personal decision. And so that's where the balance is, right? Is this something that you really want to do that's going to make you feel happy? Then go for it. You know, again, within safety. And I would really urge you to talk to your doctor because a lot of it depends on are you immunosuppressed? You know, where are you in your chemotherapy cycle? That kind of thing. I still, I tell everybody who is on active chemo or any treatment that is suppressing their immune system that I still want them to be um, wearing masks indoors to be only around vaccinated people if possible and to definitely get the booster shot. So those are kind of my three, uh, and the flu shot, of course, but those are kind of my three current tips that I'm telling people. Thank you. And I, I mean, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope right now. And so this is really powerful information. And, but again, it is a moment of time tomorrow could be different, but let's hope it's going to be better because I know, I know for me dealing with cancer and listen, dealing with any hardship, wherever you're coming from to have hope is really, really incredibly powerful. And so on that note, I want to talk about attitude, positivity, authentic positivity, of course, and what your thoughts are with people in treatment and how they're doing when it comes to trying to have a good attitude and healing? Is that something that you believe is just an old wives tale? Or do you believe that trying to be positive through your healing and through treatments can really be helpful? Oh, I think it's incredibly helpful for several reasons. You know, a cancer diagnosis or even any, any medical diagnosis is, is devastating. It is life-changing and it's hard. And there's going to be days that just feel insurmountable and feel really, really difficult. There's always, I always tell people, find a little bit of joy in those days, right? Maybe it's as simple as you sit outside or you go on a, you know, you read a good book, you know, whatever it is, whatever makes you feel like yourself makes you feel happy. I think that's really important. But when we talk about that attitude and getting you through active treatment, you know, just think about it for a second. If you, cancer is, and, and, you know, it's hard work. So thinking about all of the things that you have to do when you're going through treatment, you have to focus on your sleep, on moving your body and making sure you're fueling your body with good nutrition to get through the side effects. If you're not in a positive state of mind, it can be really, really hard to do those things. And so I, we know that people who come into it with a 
better, I don't say better attitude, but who are determined and optimistic and hopeful, they tend to do better with side effects because they're motivated. And when we try to feel good, we're more motivated to do what we need to do. Um, you know, and that's why I always, always ask about people's mental health during treatment. If people are feeling anxious, they're feeling sad, they're feeling hopeless, depressed. I really try to make sure that we get them the help counseling therapy medications that they need so that that doesn't kind of overcome being able to handle the physical aspects of treatment. I love that you do that. I also think that everything you were saying, it just is it mirror my experience to find little things throughout the day that whether it's, you said going outside or, you know, for me, it was, I, I joke around like, yeah, sometimes I still watch Days of Our Lives. You know, they've been my friends since I was in like the eighth grade, right? So to watch a night of Days of Our Lives, when I came home from a long day of treatment, it made me smile. It made me laugh. And so it helped me get through the day because when you're in active treatment and you don't feel great, it can be really hard. And so it's hard to have that pep in your step. And that's okay if you don't, but to have... To, to have little things around you that bring you joy can help you with a positive attitude to your point and help you look forward and move forward and have hope that the treatments are going to go okay for the day, but that also in the future. Exactly. I think that I always talk to people about having, you know, uh, journaling and meditation and mindfulness and keeping a gratitude list. And I know you talk about this a lot. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be big. It can be as simple as, well, I got to sit outside with my iced coffee today. You know, that's, it's those little things in life. And I always tell people to take it again, when it feels really insurmountable. And I kind of think about this when I'm running very long distances that you run, you know, the mile you're in, it's the cycle of chemotherapy that you're in, right? You break it down into these very, very bite-sized doable moments. Uh, I think that kind of limits that feeling of hopelessness and feeling overwhelmed. I love that. I love that. I have heard people talk about cancer as like a marathon, but I always saw it as the proverbial like cliche or like life's a marathon, but I didn't get that part of it. And that's really beautiful. Like in a marathon, because maybe because I'm not a marathon runner, I, I always thought I was going to be, but that's a whole nother story, but I never was. And that each mile you're running and you're present in that moment, just trying mm -hmm. to get through that mile. And that is the way cancer treatment can be. If you think, and maybe even anything else in life, that's, that is the power of being mindful is living in that moment, feeling it, the good, the bad, or just in your head, knowing if it's bad, you're going to move, like there, something better is coming ahead of you. And I guess that that would make sense with marathons as well. Think about when you're, you know, let's say you're you're at your oncologist's office for the first time or whatever doctor's office, and they're laying out this six-month-long or however long, years-long treatment plan for you. That can feel like so much. But if you say, okay, well, it's one cycle at a time. It's one treatment at a time. It lets you, you know, it's a journey. Well, I, yes, I mean... I like to call it an adventure sometimes because that's goofy and that's who I am and that's what works for me. Right. Mm -hmm. But for other people, you gotta, you know, that you'll hear people say, you do you, you do you, you know, there, there's so many like 
nice positivity messages out there. But I also try and tell people, like, listen, cancer is a hard journey. And there's a lot of times that I think we all can make things harder than they have to be. But it's hard, right? It's hard. But also taking those moments to just do it the way you want to do it. And mm-hmm. don't be too hard on yourself if you have a bad day or, you, you know, or you're not in a good mood. But then let tomorrow be a new day for you. Like take each day as it is, which is similar to what you're saying is like each phase is what it is. But let each day be a day. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. The next day is a new day. Exactly. All right. I want to ask you some your thoughts on the future of cancer because I'm banking on, I am all about healthy living, but I am banking on science coming up with even more great treatments. Is there anything that you're thinking a lot about right now in terms of the future of cancer? There's so much. I mean, this is such a good time. I think there's obviously a lot of work to be done, but when we think back to the last few years or even the last decade, the amount of progress that we've made, the amount of drugs that have been approved, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing to me. And I think that we are just continuing this revolution of really starting to understand cancer a little bit more, understand why people are becoming resistant to certain treatments. And once we can understand why and exactly how cancer starts to grow and metastasize, then then we're one step closer to that, right? To really turning it into, I mean, the goal is to prevent patients from developing metastatic disease and for the people who live with metastatic disease to keep them alive without it growing, right? To really turn it into a chronic illness, something like diabetes or high blood pressure. And people will say that cancer is a chronic illness. And I don't think that that's where we are yet, but I'm hopeful that we will get there. There's a lot of research right now looking at really at detecting things like circulating tumor DNA, right? Trying to find cancer before it spreads. And I'm just really hopeful about that. Well, thank you. I'm really hopeful. And to anybody who is new to me, I am here to tell you that I am your success story. Because I have, I was first diagnosed 17 years ago, and I've been living now eight years with stage four disease, and I am thriving. And I completely am on board with this being a chronic illness. Like, do I want this to be my life at times? No, of course not. But the fact that I have a pretty good quality of life, and yes, I'm on Ibrance, if you've got that question, or at least when we record this, I'm on Ibrance. And yes, I have had to do various bouts of SBRT radiation therapy. And listen, it's up, there's ups and downs, but I want to be that success story. I tell my son, I'm going to be here till I'm 94 and I'm not even close to that. So, so I really hope I am. I hope that what we're saying is true and I believe it is. And I'm going to continue to believe that because that gives me hope that there's such, such a bright future for so many of us. And, and I think you have to have that hope, right? And I'm just listening to you. And we talked about this when you came on my podcast, but the you have to have hope. Hope is what gets us through the day. That's what gets us up in the morning, that the hope that you'll, you know, get to take another breath, right? The hope that you get to get up the next day. Yeah. I, and, and I think it is in your heart 
and in my heart as well. And I just, I keep believing and love seeing all the new advancements because whether or not it makes sense for me, it just means that there's a lot of really smart people out there that are going to come up with the next best thing. And I remember eight years ago that, that one of the doctors I met with is like, our goal is to make metastatic breast cancer a chronic illness. And so, you know, what, like you said, maybe they're not there yet, but, but they're thinking that. And so I'm going to think that as well. Oh, and we're so much farther now than we were eight years ago. I know. It's, we're getting there. Um, you know, drugs like Ibrance didn't exist, you know, really. I mean, right, they got didn't. approved in 2015, so it didn't exist eight years ago. Right. And, and that's what, when I go out and I talk to various groups, that's one of the messages I'll say. Even when I, in tw- 2004, I was diagnosed three months after we were married. So we were talking about having kids and this and that. And there, like the protocol about freezing eggs was something that was written up in a medical journal. I think it was December of 2004 because we went back and forth. Should we do it? Should we not? Should we do it? Should we not? We opted not to do it because we thought it was so new. Even though all everybody had said, this is the wave of the future. You've got cancer. It's safe. It's safe. It's safe. But I look at that and I hear a lot of people, there's a lot of hope for us, even if you're touched with cancer, to go on and live the life that you dreamed of, maybe in a slightly different way. But you yeah. know, again, it's like, it's just coming full circle on all the advances. Now, I want to ask you a few questions because I know this is something that you do every Friday on your platforms and I will put the links in the show notes here for the podcast you just do a Q&A session for people to ask you questions and you answer them. And some of what I love is that the questions are so different. You know, some of it might be specific to a, a certain cancer and other things might be just more vague. And so I thought I would take a moment, if you're game, to p- kind of play that game with me. I, I picked two questions that I, I got a number of people. I reached out to Pretty Wellness followers and said, hey, you know, I'm talking to a medical oncologist. What questions yeah. do you have? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So one of them was um, interesting. A few people asked about fasting and intermittent fasting. I know it's been around for a while, but is it good for people that are in treatment or living with hormonal cancer? Intermittent fasting is a, I mean, there's a lot of research coming out about this. There's a big article in the New England Journal of Medicine, kind of early 2020, talking about all the benefits. And so it's not a fad, right? There's a lot of diets that are fads. And, but I think intermittent fasting has a lot of benefits. It affects insulin resistance. It affects your metabolism. It's supposed to be helpful with memory, that fog that sometimes people get, you know, weight loss. I mean, tons of benefits. I actually don't recommend it though for patients who are actually on active chemotherapy or active treatment that can cause symptoms such as nausea because when you, unless you've been doing it, but when you start it, you know, what, what intermittent fasting is, you have a set fasting period and it's that eating window and kind of the standard is a 16 hour fast, eight hour eating window, but you start, you can start slow, do 12 and 12, you know, 10 and 12. That can, so I can't do math today, 10 and 14, you got it. Um, but with chemo, you know, one of the things that we do tell people is to eat small, frequent meals. Cause that kind of helps with the hunger and helps with the nausea. So I'm not a big fan of it. 
while people are, are on treatment. If they do want to try, I'm we'll we'll try it and I'll definitely support them. But that's not something that I routinely recommend. Now for people who are on things like you know tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors or more kind of chronic other treatment and want to either lose weight, maybe they're struggling with you know, kind of late night eating and, and they want something different, they're looking to improve their insulin resistance, then I think it's a great option. I definitely recommend kind of getting a little bit of guidance, maybe from a registered dietitian uh, or someone in the nutrition field about how to start, especially if you're on treatment. I think this is why having an oncology specific nutritionist or dietitian is really, really helpful, but it can be a great tool for someone. And it's not something that you have to do. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't do this, that's okay. It's you got to do what works for you. Uh, We know that at least with breast cancer, there's a number of nutrition kind of tips that I always share. Um, But intermittent fasting is one, one tool. It's not the tool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I had a few people write in about that too. And I, I think to your point, Sometimes people will go on drugs like tamoxifen, which interestingly enough, I had very few, if any, side effects to tamoxifen, but some of the aromatase inhibitors and their weight changes, or they go into menopause because of the cancer and their weight changes. And so I, I, I know at least one of the questions was somehow related to not just the hoping to prevent a cancer reoccurrence, but also about the managing of the weight. So thank you. I appreciate that. Now, the other question, a few questions I got, but this one was, what is genomic profiling and why am I hearing people talk about it? Genomic profiling is a very big kind of umbrella term, if you will. But the idea is trying to figure out what causes your cancer to grow. And we talk about some cancers have certain mutations and some of these mutations are what, what are called driver mutations, meaning that those mutations are really what are driving the, the cancer to grow. And other mutations are passenger mutations. So if you think about a driver and a passenger in a car, you know, the driver is in charge of what happens to the car, not the passenger. And so a lot of these genomic profiles are tests that are done on your cancer to help figure out if you have any of these mutations and whether we have drugs to target them. Genomic profiling also includes things like the oncotype test or the mammoprint test, which are used to help determine if someone needs chemotherapy for breast cancer. So you can see that there's a wide array, but the idea is really how can we look at the tumor molecularly to get more information about it and so that we can translate that into treatment. You are so well-spoken. You just, that I know that that's such a complicated, like even as I was reading it and trying to succinctly write the question out. I'm like, wow, you just explained that so delicately. And yet it all made so much sense, right? From, you know, one doctor to a non-doctor. That's the thing about being present on social media and really interacting with patients or people in the community. I can't use the terms that I would use to speak with another doctor because no one will understand it, right? Totally. Um, Right, right. about how do we explain cancer? It's all about thinking about how do I explain it so that people can really get it because it's very complicated and it's very nuanced. I mean, I don't understand some of the stuff in the diseases that I don't treat. 
And now, as we're sitting here talking, I'm going back and forth with whether do I tell everybody about the conversation we had at the top of this uh, at the top of this call, and I think we do, and I, because I'm always transparent, and it seems like you are as well. I'm a cancer patient, and I literally was looking at my labs as I right before I called you, thinking like, ah, oh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm getting them. I'll talk to. I know I can talk to my doctor tomorrow, but I'm going to be talking to an oncologist. And the conversation you and I had started with how there is a new. Last week I had my scans and within 24 hours I had my scan results that were sent to me through my, um, my web, the web portal that signed in with my hospital. And I, you and I talked about, and I'd love for you to share with the listeners, that's something if they have access to any type of blood work or test that they're doing to have access to it. But with that comes, you've got that information and we I do not suggest that people go Google it to try and figure it out. It comes with a sense of like responsibility and probably angst. I know it does for me. Can can you share with the listeners some of what you were sharing to me about like how you guide your patients what to do or what you recommend they do when they have access to all this information? It's not always the greatest thing to go down that rabbit hole and try and figure it out yourself. I agree. So the federal law, uh, it's fairly new, and it basically is all about being transparent and saying that patients are entitled to their results, which, yes, they are. It's their blood work. It's their scans. Each, there's deadlines about when, how each hospital, whether it's inpatient, outpatient system, has to implement this. But the everyone's heading in that direction, meaning that when your scans, your pathology, your blood work is available, it is automatically in real time published to the patient portal. This is a big plug for patient portals. If you're not on them, I highly, highly recommend getting on it because you have more access to your information. But what happens as this law goes into effect is that people are getting their results and their doctor hasn't called them to explain what this means. And I think initially when we were all found out about this, it caused a lot of angst and well, how will, what will patients do? And, and they, they're going to read it and the language is not, it's, you know, it's like the scan language can be hard to interpret and what do we, you know, markers are up and all of that. Um, and, and I think that if you take a step back and say, well, I've actually empowered the patient now to take ownership and advocate for themselves. I've given them this information. And I think part of it is having a conversation with your doctor about when the results get published, what is the expectation? So I can tell you what I do. I, when I have a new patient to my practice, I kind of have a few minutes with them where I go over like, how can you reach me? Who is on call? What do you do in a weekend? So people have expectations. And one of the things we talk about is, well, how will you get your results? And I'm very honest. I tell people, look, I get 150, 200 results a day and I I'm the one who looks at them. I want to look at every single lab result. But as a result, this means that I can't get through all the labs in a day. And so if you get your results and you have a question, I want you to call me right away and say, I got this. What does this mean? You know, and then I'll get back to you with a time that we can talk or, you know, we have a visit coming up and things like that. So I think I urge everyone to ask your healthcare team about what is happening. And this is not just cancer. This is really any anyone going to the doctor and getting tests done, ask them what is a reasonable expectation in terms of 
Will they be calling you? Will they, will you be calling them? Just having a plan, I think is really important. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this is I think that it's really great when people have their, their scan results or their labs in advance, and then they're coming to the appointment and they already know the information. So they've processed it a little bit. You can have a much more educated conversation and a plan than when you're catching people completely off base with something not great. I agree. I I will say as being on the other side of that and receiving the information that sometimes I have interpreted it incorrectly to have mm-hmm. somebody that can help you navigate that anybody and I'm not talking about Google as you know as I've told you there's a chapter in my book that's Google is not your doctor it's really hard to get the right information and the information you need when you just Google it. But if you've got somebody in your family who is a doctor, if you call, like like you talk about, you encourage your patients to call you. And if, if you've already, you know, I have an understanding with, with my doctors that I don't always talk to my doctor. I might talk to the nurse and she's amazing and she knows everything too. And so knowing that beforehand, I think calms me that even if I see something that doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. And by the way, and I don't remember if I told you this, Dr. T, at the beginning of this call was that I actually read it wrong. Mm-hmm. I've been going through these reports for eight years. I feel like I'm pretty savvy when it comes to reading them. And I misunderstood some information. And so I want to remind people that even though you have the information, even though you think you know, until you've actually had that conversation with somebody on your medical team, to try and take a deep breath and try and know that even if it doesn't seem right, you may not be reading it right. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is that you don't have to look at it, right? So I... I have some patients who will say, I just can't look at it. Can you call me? Um, and of course, right? So I think knowing where you fall and, and, and how you interpret that information is important. And the other part, what you just mentioned about your nurse, you know, I have a fantastic team. I can't get to all the phone calls. Um, and I have a fantastic team of people, my nurse practitioner, my nurse, my medical assistant, my coordinators that all are part of the team. And so I think that that's a really key point about knowing who is on your team, who could potentially call you to talk about things with. And I think that it's really, really important when you engage in any sort of long-term relationship with any healthcare provider that you are given clear expectations of how the office runs and how you can expect to communicate and get results and all of that. I am so grateful for I would, I want to call it our friendship. I've been following you on social media for a while now. So I feel like you're my friend because I know when you're running a marathon or you'll go on the Peloton and I'm like, Oh man, I got to do that class too. Although you usually go to longer classes than I do. I did a 20 (laughs) minute this morning, but it was a good one. I did a 20 minute this morning with Tune Day and I, I was, I was dying. (laughs) Well, and a friend of mine has always said sometimes the 20 minute ones are harder, but I, I'm really trying to get that 45 minute Elton John class in there soon, but somehow I, I never leave myself enough time or I don't make enough time, but nonetheless, I am so grateful for how accessible you are to patients and to people out there in the world through social media. I am grateful for you for your patients that have you, that you seem like such a well-connected, down-to-earth, yet brilliant doctor. 
Thank you. And that's amazing. And I am hoping that you will play what I call the grateful game to close out this podcast episode. Let's do it. All right. So for those of you who are new to me, I play what I call the grateful game, not just to close out each podcast episode with all the guests, but it's a game that my son and I created a few years ago. It really was just a way for us to share what we were grateful for that day and why. And what I found out is really the truth with any mindful practice is when you take something, you're present in that moment, enjoy it, feel it, and you let it be a routine, it becomes something that can help you get through the day. Do I think that my grateful game is going to cure my cancer No, I I don't, but I will tell you that throughout the days, knowing that I am coming back at night to share good things that happen throughout the day with him, it makes me smile. It does sometimes change my mood, and it definitely helps us go off to sleep with a little bit of positivity. So I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to give us, we'll say about 45 seconds to talk about what we're grateful for and why today. So I'm going to start with, and it's natural with this conversation we're having, but I was at Yale this morning and I was with, uh, just to get my blood work done because I'm on Ibrands, and I want to say how grateful I am for those nurses who have stood by my side for the last eight plus years up there. Um, Shanda, for instance, always makes me laugh. She's asking about my son and laughing that he is now in middle school because when I came there, he was five. But there's so many nurses, APRNs, techs that I have dealt with on this journey that, like we said, you know, are they my best friends? Well, no, but I feel like they're my friends because they care about me. And I really do feel it. And so, like, Michelle Corso, Joanna, Jen, who's my tech with all of my scans, like, these are nurses, techs, Jessica, who is my, one of my friends as well as my APRN that have really helped me make my cancer life going up to Yale in one of the many offices I go to a bit more pleasant and helpful as well. So I am tossing it now to you. That was like one, but maybe it was five and it doesn't really matter though. Oh, I love that. Um, You know, so I'll share two things. One, I am, I'm grateful every single day that I, get to get up and I get to move my body and I I get to feel the sweat and just the ability to do that when so many people can't. Um, It it makes me grateful every single day. But the other thing that happened today, I got a delivery from the husband of a patient who passed away a little while ago. And I had spoken to him after she passed and he said, you know, you, uh, you're more than a doctor to me. You know, you're going to be in my life uh, forever. And you know, I got very choked up when talking to him, but today they, he sent me a delivery and it's this beautiful vase um, with, with flowers and it says laugh on it. And, you know, we'll think of her every time I look at it, but it was so sweet. And I, you don't, as a patient, you never have to give your doctor anything. So I don't want this to be about that, but it's just those little things. And, you know, it made me feel just made me think of her. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for these relationships that I get to build with, with patients and their families. Well, that's, that's so beautiful. And what I like about it, and I hear you when you say you don't need to, to gift your doctor or anything. What I love is that it's so thoughtful mm-hmm. and that is huge because again, it shows that 
you've made the, the, they're not just patients to you, they're people. And that's what I, I will say my entire journey with cancer since I started at more of a community hospital in 2004 when I was first diagnosed, but was a, a part of Yale, it was Greenwich Hospital. I really felt like they knew Karen as a person as well as a patient. And that, that was important to me. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Um, again, these are people you build relationships with for years. Uh, and so you want, you want them to see you more than just a number, right? Than just a, a diagnosis. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. For those of you out there, I would love for people to check you out. Where can you tell us where they can find you? Absolutely. I am Dr. Toplinsky, D-R-T-E-P-L-I-N-S-K-Y on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, and my podcast is called Interlude. And like we talked about, I do a Q, I post a Q&A every Friday on Instagram. I don't answer specific medical advice, but it's a great, great way to kind of get some of your questions answered. And I, I hope to see or some of your listeners join me on these platforms. Well, and again, I'm sending you a huge hug throughout this, through this microphone. I have, it's been such a joy getting to speak to you, not just once, but twice. It fills my heart. I hope the listeners out there, I hope you have taken away something from this conversation. And I am grateful for all of you for following me, not just on my cancer journey, but on this quest that I have to share stories and information on how people can find happiness through hardship, whether it's cancer, whether it's stress, whether it's insert whatever hardship you've got going on in your life, we all have it. And I truly believe that there is a way to find a little bit of joy during whatever journey we're going through in life. So I'm sending big hugs out to everyone. Big, big, big hugs. Have a wonderful day and bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you could do me a favor and take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Honestly, you leaving a review really does help us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And if you tell your friends about us because you love us, they might as well. So let us know your thoughts. Please connect with us directly. We have a ton of fun on Instagram at Pretty Wellness and would love hearing from you. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you so much happiness and great health. Bye for now.